Um, we've been speaking about prayer, if you haven't noticed, for the last uh, four weeks, I believe. And um, we're going to continue that same uh, idea. I think. And uh, most of the time, uh, you know, I'd always think about, I would think of prayer, okay, it's just a conversation between you and God. And it is. It's a conversation that goes on between you and God. And the Bible says that men ought always to pray and not to faint. So basically what it's saying is that if people are fainting, it's because they are caught up in their fear. <laughs> so why not be caught up in our prayer? And that our conversation with God is not limited to a time that we have designated, okay, I can't talk to God right now, I'm, I'm, I'm praying. <laughs> or I, I, I talk to God between the hours of 9 and 10, and I don't need to talk to him now. <laughs> so the, the challenge is for us is to recognize that we have an ongoing conversation with God. That we have an ongoing, um, how can I say it, inspiration, consciousness of God. That's what we talked about in our Sunday school lesson, a consciousness of God that is part of our life every day. And whenever we try to cancel out the consciousness of God, generally, it's because we want to do something that he, we don't want him to watch. <laughs> so um, that doesn't happen. He knows everything. So uh, the challenge for us then is to allow God, and, and to think of this, God is not looking for what we're doing wrong. God is leading us to help us do what is right. And that the fruit of the righteousness, the fruit of the right things that we do, will bring right things into our life. Well, what happens when bad things happen? Hey, it's life. <laughs> but God can turn those around to make them good. So the, the challenge for us is to have this ongoing relationship with God that is a conversation. And it's not a negative one. Okay? It's not a guilt one. It's not, oh my gosh, i got to do something to make God happy. <laughs> if you can make God happy, more luck, more, you know, go right ahead. But it's not going to happen. God's already uh, a joyful God, and God knows all the things that are coming and planning, and he's got a plan for the whole world, and you're not going to change God. God's wanting to change us. And uh, so as we look at prayer, I go back to uh, last week's sermon, and I think of it as uh, a very important one. And I have some highlights uh, from the message. Uh, Luke eleven thirteen. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, it's important. Jesus is using the illustration about earthly fathers, and he's not putting down earthly fathers. He's just saying that in our humanness, you know, we're not perfect. But consider your heavenly Father, his desire to give you the Holy Spirit. Uh, I, I like the, the word, the phrasing, that when Jesus says that I have to go to, I have to ascend to the Father, that I will send you another comforter. And the word another means one equal to myself, one like myself. So when Jesus ascends to the Father and is seated at the right hand of the Father and the Holy Spirit is here, the Holy Spirit is one, it would be just like Jesus walking with us and having a conversation. Whenever we're reading the scriptures, it's, and there's thoughts that come to us that are spiritual thoughts, it's like Jesus speaking to us, but it's the Holy Spirit. So there's only, only the Holy Spirit can make real what Jesus has made possible. 
I like that quote. Only the Holy Spirit can make real what Jesus has made possible. What we know about God, the Holy Spirit has taught us. That the, the third person of the Trinity, the reason we consider the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, a person, he can be grieved, he can be turned away, he can be accepted. That he, he, you know, so he has all the characteristics of a person, just like God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They have all these characteristics. He never go where he's not invited. <laughs> the Spirit will never go where he's not invited. You see, everything that God presents to us and gives to us, we have to be willing to receive. You, it's, it's a gift given, not a gift forced. The Holy Spirit, God, leads us into the kingdom of heaven. The devil drives people to hell. So we find that there's a a complete contrast between good and evil. Evil appears to be pleasurable, but only for a season, because once its pleasures gets its hooks in us, we again become contaminated, we become... um, Addicted, we become caught up in something that is destructive behavior. And it leads us in, the, in that direction. But God can break that destructive behavior and lead us into the kingdom of God, and that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, what else? How much more will your Heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit? Um, if we ask. So we're asking for God, and we know that there's gifts and fruits, but... We know that there is characteristics, there is so much of the Holy Spirit and so much power in the Holy Spirit, you know, in the gifts, um, gift of tongues, the gift of interpretation, gifts, gifts of healing, um, word of knowledge. All of these things are workings of the Spirit in our life. Fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, meekness, kindness. You know, these are the things that God is growing. Fruits grow. Spiritual gifts are imparted. So this is the work of the Holy Spirit. So we want to know the scriptures. We want to know what God wants to do and lead us in our life. And so that is the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, today, we're looking at Mark chapter 10, verse 46. And I want to read this, 46 to 52, and then we'll go back and kind of break it down. Um, Then they reached Jericho. And as Jesus and his disciples left town, a large crowd followed him. A blind beggar named Bartimaeus was sitting beside the road. When Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Be quiet. (laughs) Many of the people yelled at him. But he only shouted louder, Son of David, have mercy on me. When Jesus heard him, he stopped and said, Tell him to come here. So, he called, so they called the blind man. Cheer up, they said. Come on, he's calling you. Bartimaeus threw aside his coat, jumped up, and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked. My rabbi, the blind man said, I want to see And Jesus said to him, Go, for your faith has healed you. Instantly the man could see and and followed Jesus down the road. Hmm. Blind Bartimaeus. Um, 
as we look at this, we find that they, they had reached Jericho. Now, Jericho, even today you can go to Jericho. And you, you know that in Jericho it is an authentic site. This is the place, this is the place, the roads, the area that Jesus walked. Why? Because there is a well at Jericho. It's a cistern. And it has been producing water since before the time of Christ, at the time of Jesus, and today. So we know that this is the place where Jericho was. The walls of Jericho fell down. It's the same place. So Jericho, Jesus is on the way to Jericho, and his disciples left town, and a large crowd followed him. So there's a bunch of people following him. Um, oh, just a couple other things about Jericho. Jericho is situated in the midst of a fertile, well-watered country area at this time. Um, it is celebrated for its palm trees. was situated about 17 miles east-northeast of Jerusalem. <laughs> so it's up from the Dead Sea, and Jerusalem is up in the mountains, Dead Sea, up in the mountains to Jerusalem, and the description is going down to Jericho. Uh, Jericho is in the plains, Jer and Jerusalem is up on the mountains, up on the top of the hill. So there, it's, when Jesus is walking to Jericho, he's like walking from Pleasantville to top of the hill, maybe a little higher, uh, to Winber, you know? So... It's about 18 miles, that's a little further, and it's, up, it's uphill the whole way. Uh, about six miles from the nearest bend in the Jordan River, uh, meaning that this is where Moses, excuse me, Joshua led the children of Israel, crossed the Jordan River into the Promised Land. And in the time of our Lord, it was the most uh, important city in the, in the area next to Jerusalem. So this is a very important place, a very important city, and it is also where Jesus calls Zacchaeus out of the tree. So we have a number of things that go on in Jericho, and Jericho appears many times in our, in our biblical history. Well, as they were leaving town, a large crowd followed behind him, or followed him, and a blind beggar named Bartimaeus. Now, we've got the situation put before us. He's blind. He's a beggar. It means that he's blind and he's a beggar. <laughs> Smart guy, huh? Uh, blind means he is physically disabled, and beggar means he has no income. He is of a low social status. He, he is overlooked. I don't know. I, whenever I was reading this and talking about I remember in Africa, we were in... I don't remember, I think it was Harare, one of the cities in, in Zimbabwe. And there was beggars, you know, around. But there was this one in particular that he's sitting on the street, and I don't even think he had the strength to get up. And he was just there. And of all the people, of all the different people I saw in Africa, I still remember that man sitting on the, on the street. Because I think he was almost ready to die sitting on the street, and no one would help him. They, the garbage bins in, 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 in Zimbabwe, there is none. The garbage bins are there, but there's nothing in them. Because people scavenge everything they can to survive. This was 30 years ago. And so here is this guy who is the lowest person on the, to on, on this, on the scale of society, and he's begging, he's there, 
just wishing for a handout. And he's just sitting there. And, you know, we're all walking by and doing nothing. And, you know, at the first your thoughts are, well, there's another beggar down the street, and there's another beggar around the street. And if you go out into the rural communities, they're just, some of them are just lying in their, pl- in their huts waiting to die because they have no food. And, and, you know, so the poverty is the, the people who have consider themselves fortunate and they are not really responsible for those who have not. Now, in, in this time period, we know that, remember when Jesus, somewhere I have it written down, that uh, the disciples, oh, uh, John 9, 2, I didn't give this to you, Terry. Uh, John 9, 2, when the disciples are with Jesus, they said, who sinned? Now, they're not talking about this blind beggar. But they, and he said, uh, the disciples said to, this, to Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? You see, it was a common acceptance that illness was a punishment from God. And Jesus said, neither his parents or anyone sinned that he's, that he's sick. And, you know, some people even, you know, as, few, as soon as a few years ago used to think that people who are sick it's being punished by God. You've prayed for them, there's sin in their life, and, you know, God deliver us from such heresy. But he was blind, and he was a beggar, and he was sitting by the wayside. Now, one of the things is, he listened. <laughs> you see, all these people walk by, and, and what happens is when someone is blind, you have one disability, well, they just assume he has many disabilities. He's not listening. What does it matter if what we say? He can't hear us anyhow. He's blind. And I was like, um, and, and I remember one of the trainings I was at years ago, and uh, he, the, the guy was saying, just because someone is old doesn't mean they can't hear. So you don't have to shout at them <laughs> because they have gray hair. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> so, a misconception. Well, because <laughs> one person can't hear doesn't mean everyone can't hear. So, it's being able to know that. So, verse 47, the blind man says, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Hmm. He began to cry out aloud and with great intensity and often repeating it, and said, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. <laughs> and it's important that what we see here is that he did not call him Jesus of Nazareth. That was what, kind of what the common people called him. But Jesus, son of David, is the title of the Messiah. So here's this beggar on the street, knows more about Jesus than the people who are crowding around him. He was not calling for money, person who has nothing. He's calling for mercy. Look favorably upon me. Notice me. And you know, when we are desperate in our prayers, like we've been speaking about along the way, ask and you shall receive. The scripture is there that we are, we are, to, pre- we are to present our need before God and to believe that there is to be an answer. So Mark 10, 48. And many charged him that he should hold his peace. Okay, 
He's a blind beggar. He's of low social status. To the crowd, he means nothing. To the group of people. So what happens? You are embarrassing us before Jesus. <laughs> you are embarrassing us around Jesus. And, he's, and, the, and the blind man says, he cried out all the more, Thou son of David, have mercy on me. He wanted noticed by Jesus so because he knew from everything that he had heard sitting there and what he felt in his spirit, if anyone could help him, it would be Jesus. <laughs> the crowd considered his outcries ill-mannered. They considered him unworthy to <laughs> associate with Jesus. Being a beggar, blind, this was punishment from God, as we have said. And... Um, so they rebuked him. <laughs> they told him, you know, be quiet. No one wants to hear what you have to say. So Jesus was passing by, and we remember that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem because the cross is in front of him. <laughs> so there's a lot going on here. There's, you know, all the things that are going on. He knows what's going on in Jerusalem. He knows that they're scheming. He knows that he's going to the Passover, and he knows that he is going to be crucified. So here he is walking through Jericho on his way to the cross and has all these people, and then there's this blind guy who's a beggar wanting to be noticed. You see, he was not going to be silenced by the crowd. He, he knew what the crowd was like. He knew how hurtful they could be. He knew how wrong they could be in their assessments and their understanding. So here's a blind man who was able to understand truths much greater than all those who could see and who were clamoring around Jesus. He was not going to be silenced by the people who did not care about him. A useful lesson for us. Only the uninformed and the uncaring would try to silence one's prayer or our prayer. Only the uninformed would try to tell someone to be quiet and not ask Jesus to answer their needs. All those who desire to serve God must overcome all earthly shame and fear. And shame is an unpleasant, self-conscious emotion associated with a negative evaluation of self. Too many people suffer from that shame, which is an unpleasant self-consciousness that is in a, in a, as a wrong, literally a wrong evaluation of who we are. It is withdrawal of emotions, a mistrust, powerlessness, worthlessness. These are all the things that people on a shame-based assessment of themselves find themselves withdrawn and so on. And, and, and some, some therapist would blame that shame-based uh, uh, idea on the, on the church and people, people having a, a consciousness of God. Well, God is not based uh, on shame. He is based on love and forgiveness. He's about healing the different. He's about healing the, the 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 ways that we look at ourselves and the way we look at God, the way that God looks at us. God doesn't look at us from a shame-based perspective. 
God doesn't look at us from fear. He, he has a, the idea of fear is an unpleasant emotional uh, emotion created by belief that someone or something is a danger, likely to cause pain or is a threat. We have to overcome shame and fear. And it isn't the crowd that is going to keep us from asking Jesus. It is sometimes our own perception of ourselves that the crowd maybe has pointed it out or someone else has done something to make that type of assessment, (laughs) these unworthy feelings that would keep us back from approaching Christ. But the beggar, he was not going to allow this to happen. He declares, Thou son of David, have mercy on me. This title of a Messiah is something this beggar knew, and he was making that title fit, and everybody was going to hear that Jesus, the son of David, have mercy on me. Verse 49. And Jesus stood still. <laughs> I like that. Stopped him in his tracks. The crowd's pushing around whatever, and he's hearing this man over the crowd, and Jesus stops. <laughs> How do you get the attention of God? Call his name. Speak to him. He hears us. It's almost like when he calmed the sea in scriptures that he's in there and he says, peace be still, and the whole the sea calms down and everything is okay. And here it is, he hears his name from this blind beggar and he stops. And uh, we find that and he accompanied him and commanded him to be called. He commanded them to be, call him, the people in the crowd, call him to come here. Bartimaeus cried out, he called out, and he shouted. Jesus heard him, and he stood still. He commanded him to be called and bring him to him. This is mercy, okay? Mercy is God's favor looking towards us, calling us to come. But then he does something in the second part of verse 49. And they called the blind man, saying unto him, Be of good comfort, rise, he calleth thee. So the crowd now changes its attitude. Jesus wants the guy, so the crowd says, oh, oh we're, we, we like this guy, Jesus. <laughs> and he called them to come over. And you see, public opinion changes. Friends, <laughs> associates, they can change their mind. Uh, they change the weather. But Jesus never changes. The crowd was saying unto him, and I, I liked all these different translations it says saying on the be of comp- be of good comfort rise he calleth thee the amplified bible says that the people said take courage get up he's calling for you good news cheer up they said get up he is calling you another translation says, be at peace arise he is calling you and the aramaic says take heart arise he is calling for you the crowd's words of how the that's what could have been said in this phrase that, it, it, that is there in the scripture. Be of, good, be of good comfort, take courage, cheer up, be at peace, take heart. Why? Jesus has stopped and he's calling for you. So 
when we say the name of Jesus, he stops. He calls for us. Now, it's important. Verse 50 says, And the blind man threw off his robe, got up, and went to Jesus. <laughs> you see, why didn't Jesus go to him? He's blind. He's sitting on the edge of the road. Jesus came to Jericho just as much as Jesus went to, through Samaria to meet the woman at the well. He went through Jericho to meet this guy. There's always a purpose in where Jesus goes. And so as he goes through Jericho and passes by this blind guy, he can't see Jesus, but he knows he's there. And Jesus has brought himself to the man, but now the man must come to Jesus. The idea is the mercy of God lets us know the presence of God, the purpose of God is right in front of us. But Jesus will not do what we do not ask. Mark, with a loud cry of the man, Jesus said, Son of David, have mercy. The crowd silenced, putting him down. Don't embarrass us. But Jesus stopped, wheeling around, wheeling around. Bring him here. Tell him to come here. And the blind man threw off his coat and jumped to his feet. That's what it says here. The man threw off his robe, got up, and went to Jesus. <laughs> he was not holding back now. He got, he got the attention of Jesus and all these crowd. They're not going to keep him from seeing him or seeing him, being with him. Throw off the hindrances. Throw off the things that would keep us from, when God calls us, throw off the uh, shame, fear, past, what people Throw it away. And get up and come to the Lord because he wants you to come. Mark 10, 51. And Jesus answered and said unto him, What wilt thou that I should do to thee? Other one, what do you want me to do for you? It's God he's talking to. Doesn't God know what this man wants? Yeah. Sure he does. But Jesus wants us to say what it is that we want of him. Over and over again, God wants us to be specific in what we are asking for. Asking, you shall receive. Seeking, you shall find. What are you seeking for? Knock. What door are you knocking at? You see, God, I want you to bless my family. Okay, which one? <laughs> for what reason? No, we need to say their name and what it is we want. How can we know that God answers prayer if we're not specific in what we're asking for? What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said, Lord, that I might receive my sight. <laughs> you know that God knows what we have need of before we ask. So why do we pray? Well, number one, we need to know because God knows what our need is, he wants us to ask because it's for our benefit, not his. And do you know what disappoints God the most, I think? 
when he has everything that we need waiting there and we won't ask. You have not because you ask not. And if, you're, if, if, if he knows what we're going to ask, why should we be timid about approaching God? He already knows what you're asking and what you have need of, so why do we hold back? Why do we say, I don't, oh, I couldn't ask him for that? Why? <laughs> it's like the guy, I mean, the guy, he's walking along the road, he's carrying this big, heavy bag on his back, and, and, and the guy, guy with the wagon and the horse, you know, he's, he's going by. He said, let me give you a ride. I don't have anything in my wagon, you know. Get in, get in, I'll give you a ride. No, 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 get in, get in. Okay, so he gets in, and, and the guy starts off down the road. And he turns around, and the guy is standing in the back holding his load. And the guy says, well, what are you doing? He said, you know, that's not too much. He said, well, it was good enough for you to give me a, a load, that I, a, a ride, but I, I couldn't give your horses this burden that I'm bearing. How dumb we are. <laughs> You know, we come to God who can do everything, but we say, well, no, i got to carry this myself. You know, this is one thing you don't have to handle, Lord. Yeah, foolish people that we are. So Jesus knew what his need was, but Jesus wanted Bartimaeus to say what it was. <laughs> what do you want me to do for you? He wants to hear from our own lips our faith. You know, some people want us to, you know, you know, want to put people down. What is it that you want from me now, little boy? <laughs> you know, pat us on the head, pat us on the butt. You know, little boy, you know, what is it that you want now? He doesn't ask us that. He wants us to know. He wants us to say what we want because it's an act of faith. We believe in the promise. The parallel to all this, our prayers must not be vague. Our prayers must be distinctive. They must be expressions of a definite need. It's not that hard. What is it that you want? And don't go with the, well, I don't really need too much. The old gray mare will make it another day. <laughs> so, we are to be comfortable in the ask. So let your requests be made known unto God in faith and in confidence. You see, the blind man had to say what he wanted. Jesus says to us, what is it that you want? What is it that you need? Ask and you shall receive. Do you know what disappoints Jesus? Not asking. Did you know the military, you know, if we were, uh, this is hypothetical, but uh, this is true. If a military can launch a missile, say, a thousand miles from San Diego, not only will that missile hit the town of San Diego, the missile can hit the building in San Diego. The missile can go through the top of the building down to the certain floor and explode on a certain floor. So if there's a 10-story building you want it to explode on the fifth floor, it can do that. It can also, if you are sending the missile to a hit a tree, it can not only hit the tree, it can hit the bird <laughs> that's in the tree. So we see in our life that being specific and being right on course and right to the heart of the matter is what, is, is what drives the whole thing. It isn't a matter of, 
you know, like in, and they used to do carpet bombing, and they'd drop thousands of bombs hoping to hit what they want. You know, we say <laughs> thousands of words hoping that Jesus catches one of them. Nah. So, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your Father. And even the very hairs of your head are numbered. God is specific. He is specific. Nothing escapes his knowledge. Matthew 6.26, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or gather into the barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. God knows when a sparrow wants to eat. He feeds them. Sometimes out of our bird feeder. <laughs> yeah, amen. So you see, God is specific. And the Aramaic for verse 51 is, Yeshua said to him, what do you want me to do for you? But the blind man said to him, Rabbi, that I might see. Jesus requests of us, what do you want me to do for you? Verse, six, verse 52. And Yeshua said, See, your faith has saved you. And immediately he saw and was going down the road. Picture this. The blind man who is the beggar and everybody knows who he is, the man of low social standing, begging on the road, and he cries out to Jesus. Jesus heals him because he told him exactly what he needed, and now there's this picture of him going down the road walking down the road. No one's leading him. He can see. What is, the greatestness, what is the greatness of faith? Listening to the crowd, but only picking out what is true. He heard everything, but he chose to believe what was true. Luke eleven nine 9 says, So I tell you, ask and it shall be given you, seek, and you will find, knock, and the door will be open. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks the door will be open. Picture this, you walking down the road with your answered prayer. Why? Because you ask Jesus. He came by his grace and mercy into the town, into your presence, into the church, into your house, into your room, and he says, what is it do you want me to do for you? What is it? That's what we need to ask. And then imagine you walking down the road with your answered prayer. Father, we thank you that you call us into your presence with your grace and your mercy. It isn't how we feel. It isn't our desperate need. It is our conversation that we have with our Father. And we believe the promise that we have heard. We speak that need in our life to you. And you already know what it is, and you've been expecting us to ask. You probably say, I thought you'd never ask. So, Lord... We ask, and we know, Lord, that you will answer because that is who you are. Amen. God bless you. And what are you supposed to do? Ask. Specific. <laughs> <laughs>
simply ask 